Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. This is Terry. And we are back with episode number 74, Terry. 74. We're one away, man. You know, that's what I was ready to say. You know what that means? It means we are one away from the most painful episode we've ever done. <laughs> it doesn't even seem like it should be all that painful. It sounds like it should be fun. <laughs> but it really, I thought it would be fun, too. It's yeah, work. I'm stressed out. <laughs> Oh man, I'm stressed out over this list, Terry, of top 25 movies. I'm so I I had to stop myself because I was ready to call. I'm like, we can't do 25. It's got to be 50. We're gonna have to do top 50. I can't cut these movies. And then I was thinking that I'm like, well, you know, it's the 75th episode. Let's just make it the top 75. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like, no, all right, we're gonna do 25. And then we're just gonna you gotta make you just gonna have to you're gonna have to break some hearts. These movies are there's some heartbroken movies, Terry. They're gonna be on the outside looking in. Oh, yeah, I know I'm going to hear from Alex. You're going to be saying, why didn't you put this one in or this one in or this one in? Yeah, And they're, and they're yep. probably going to be well-deserved <laughs> as well. Hey, you know what? This is off the top of the head, and Alex will probably hear this then. Why don't you have Alex like email you his list, and we'll read his list off. That's not bad. I'll, yeah. I'll, see, I'll see if maybe I'll email Zach or even like somebody else to see if they want to put together their top 25 uh, guest lists. And we won't really um, discuss each movie like we will with ours, but we'll we'll know we'll we'll acknowledge and and ridicule where necessary on Alex when he has you know the SpongeBob movie in his top twenty five. All right, yeah, sounds like an idea. Send a right. message right now. All right, well, well, I'll, I'll ask a couple people too and see if they want to submit a top twenty five list. Maybe we'll look at them ahead of time. Well, if you get one from him, share him. Share it with me, and we can kind of discuss it. Maybe just highlight a couple things. Oh my god, I can't believe you ranked that movie that high, or yeah, oh that's a good choice, or whatever that sort of thing. And we can do that with a couple people. Yeah, it'd be fun. All right, sound good? Real good. So, so what do we do for a hundred then, Terry? Have you ever given have you given any thoughts what we do for a hundredth episode? I don't know. I don't, it's twenty six episodes away. Why don't we just <laughs> right. get through seventy five <laughs> and then we'll talk? Well, we gotta get through seventy four first tonight. We are doing Unforgiven. What I felt, what I've known—that's wrong. Never shine through, what I've shown, never be, never see. Oh, it's not it. I thought we were doing a Metallica song tonight. We're gonna have a rough episode. (laughs) Oh man, I did all the wrong research. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, It's unforgivable. All right, well, let's get to the other stuff first before we get to Unforgiven. Give Terry a chance to, to re-research the topic. <laughs> let's check out some 74-year-old celebrities, Terry. 74, I can't even guess right now. Well, I'll just run through them here Schwarzenegger. No, no, he's not on this list. Not yet. <laughs> but you know who is? Who? Hillary Clinton. Okay. Hillary Clinton is 74, Stephen King. Yeah, Stevie right. Nicks. Would you have thought that Stevie Nicks and Hillary Clinton are the same age? When you say it like that, no. But Stevie Nicks I mean, was big in the seventies. So yeah, I guess if you think about it, but I'd have never like thrown that out no. as like a guess. And these two also come in: Steven Tyler and Alice Cooper, both seventy-four. That one I buy because of they were both big early, like in the seventies. So that I one. would have guessed Alice Cooper was at least five years older than Steven Tyler. I, if I were to guess, I probably would have said the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Kathy Bates. All right, yeah. 74. Uncle Cy from the Robertsons from Duck Dynasty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't watch that. Did you ever that. watch that? Didn't you didn't watch, watch it. it? Okay. No. 
It was pretty funny. It was it was fun. Brian Johnson from ACDC is 74. <sighs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Starts to get depressing, doesn't it? A little bit. Sam Neill. Kenny Loggins is 74. Dang. Okay. That's... <laughs> James Taylor. Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Ted, yeah. Ted Danson is 74. Ted Danson, I and believe. here's one. Here's one that shook me when I saw it. Apollo Creed himself, Carl Weathers, is 74. Well, I, I always kind of thought he was older after seeing Happy Gilmore, and he was already graying yeah. in that movie 25 years ago, 26, whatever I just wouldn't have put him at the same age as Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, That's one that floors me. Cause we, we, and then Al Gore is also 74. Yeah. I would say uh, Carl Weathers didn't look that old in Mandalorian. No, uh-uh. Hmm. People age differently these days, Terry. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I watched Obi-Wan, finished it. You did? Yeah. Finally. Yeah, okay, so- I think I did it before last podcast, but I forgot to mention it. <laughs> oh, it was the one week so you good. didn't ask. <laughs> so I got so I was so hurt, so emotionally distraught that you had not sat down and invested the time into what is my third favorite Star Wars entity of all time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and you didn't like it that much, I'm guessing. I thought it was okay. I mean, it was good. I lo- that ba- that fight in episode 6 was great. Oh, I loved geez. that. That was the best part of the whole show, but it, it was just too long. It I don't know. It, it, you know that was originally going to be a movie. Was it? It should have been yeah, a movie. That's it condensed it was originally a little be bit. A movie. Yep. A lot of it, and was they drug stretched out. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the girl's name? The uh, the Inquisitor. What was her name? I don't know. Oh, for crying out loud! I just watched it too. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of her name now. Yar? No, Varit? No. Anyway, she was unnecessary. You didn't need her in the story. Another another thing I didn't like about it was you already knew how it was going to end. I that was obviously you know that going in, but that just makes it a little anticlimactic. Nobody really got their comeuppance. Well, I mean that's the problem. Anything with prequels or anything like that, you know that Darth Vader's going to live. You know that Obi Wan's going to live. Mm-hmm. You know they're going to meet again, and yeah. you're bound by the canon of Star Wars to certain events that are happening. But I was not prepared. For that scene where he cuts open his helmet, that was awesome, and he sees Anakin. And I have rewatched that scene alone fifty times. <laughs> yeah, it still gets me. Ruby didn't want to watch the show with me, so after I was done the next day, I said, "You got to see this scene. <laughs> I think you're gonna love yeah. it." Yeah, she's like, oh, "That was man. really cool." That was incredible. I thought it was perfect the way they did his voice and the voice of Vader, kind of cutting in and out because the mask was damaged. Oh, so good, so good. Twice, I love that series, Terry. Twice Obi Wan defeated him and could have ended him, but didn't. Yeah, it uh, could have put an end maybe to the dark side or helped at least knock it down a little bit. Okay, yeah, it's easy to sit back and say that, but if Alex goes to the dark side, can you take his life? Oh, I, I don't know if I've already destroyed him that much. I don't want to see his see him suffer. I would hope he would do the same to me. So sitting there with no know, arms or legs. That's a it's a tough call. I yeah. mean, you want to if you really want to kill him, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he just thought he was going to die. Maybe I don't know. Maybe That's true. Wanna, yeah. So, anyway, a couple others here: uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cat Stevens, Felicia Rashad are all seventy four. Richard Simmons is seventy four years old. I figured he'd be older. Tommy Tony Iomi Iami from Black Sabbath. Guitarist, okay. Basically, is the guy who invented the heavy metal sound on guitar. 
John Oates, Kevin Klein, Sammy Hagar mm-hmm. are all 74. And last but not least, of course, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is 74 years old. All right. Let's check out a few celebrities that, are celebrities that were born in 1974. All right. Well, who we got? Now we're into people that are a year younger than me. So you're older than all these people. I'm older than all of these people. Leo is was born in 74. DiCaprio, okay. Yeah. Joaquin yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. Allison Hannigan. The flute uh, girl? Yeah. She was born in March 24th, 1974. <laughs> wow. Uh, Penelope Cruz, Elizabeth Banks, Seth Green. I didn't think Seth Green was as old as me. Yeah, I, I knew that he was about that age because I watched a B movie called Airborne, and I believe he was in it back in like the early '90s, and he was already at, like senior in high school or okay. on the show. So that was thirty years ago. So that one makes sense, even though he looks like he's twelve. I got gotcha. you, uh, Victoria Beckham. Yeah, who was of course uh, Posh Spice. Yeah, Alanis Morissette. Did you have a favorite Spice Girl? That was probably around your time, wasn't it? Uh, when I was a teenager, yeah, it was, they were big at the time. Everybody had their favorite one and I wasn't sure if it was, uh, the baby spice or the posh spice. I couldn't decide between the two. I was like scary spice. Did you? Mel B. Yep. (laughs) She seemed like she would be the most fun to be around. (laughs) Uh, did I say Alanis Morissette? You did. Eva Mendez. Jenna Fisher is a. Born in 74. Chloe Sevigny, Kate Moss, Jimmy Fallon, Hillary Swank. Yeah. Derek Jeter, born in 74. Yeah, I feel like he just retired not that long ago, but yeah. it has been a few years now. Here's a name we haven't we, we said recently. Feruza Balk was born in 74. Yeah. Uh, Giovanni Rabisi is born in 74. I like that, dude. I wish he was in more stuff. Yeah, Phoebe's little brother, the sniper from uh uh or not the the medic from uh Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Jewel was born in seventy four. And last but not least, somebody last but not least, somebody we will be talking about uh fairly soon, I believe, within the next year or so. And that would be Mahershala Ali. Oh, Blade. Yeah. Yep, he's gonna be the new blade in the MCU. Keep getting so we will be sh- older guys as heroes. Yes, I know. You know, that kind of goes against the grain with what they've been doing. Yeah. What they've been doing is they've gone real young with a lot of these people, with a lot of these characters. So, yeah. you know, you got the 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 Marvel girl, uh uh what's her name? Miss Marvel. Miss Miss Marvel, yeah. Miss Marvel, you got her. You got the new black widow who's young, who is uh will be my second wife. <laughs> and uh, Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop, yeah. Yeah. Uh we're not counting anybody from from uh, Eternals because they're done. Hopefully, hopefully we never see them again. Nonsense. Hopefully they never come back to that. They treat it like it's uh like it was uh, the Karate Kid three. Yeah, Sean <laughs> Chi's younger than I am too. So yes, yes, uh, that one they can come back to. I like that one. Yeah. Speaking of MCU, we watched the first episode of She Hulk today. I have not watched it yet. Is it any good? I don't know. It's one of those. It's the first episode. We have got to see where you it goes. To get used to it. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was cool. I mean, Hulk's pretty prominent in it. The Mark Ruffalo. I wonder if he's going to be through the whole show or just to set to kind of give it its anchor in the universe. 
Yeah, it's it's almost like he's setting it up to how she becomes her, and I don't know. It, it get I mean, it hits the ground running pretty quickly on okay. explaining things, and it's seems almost fast paced, but a little fourth wall breaking. And I'll probably watch it tonight after we're done here. It's only thirty minutes, so it's it's quick. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I've heard mixed things about it. I'm trying to keep an open mind, but same. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We are in the in the golden age of this type of entertainment, so I'm not going to complain about the stuff that we get too much, other than Eternals, which sucked. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's uh We are, of course, doing tonight a movie that did not suck. We did not suck. It did not suck at all. And that's Unforgiven. And uh, so we'll we'll, keep, we'll get to there eventually. But first, we got to get through some rants and raves, Terry. Okay. Did you have any rants this week? Yes, I had one, and it's something I've been seeing in the news for the past week or so. It's a lot of Republicans in New Mexico are furious over the decision to construct statues of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman from Breaking (laughs) Bad and have it placed in the Albuquerque Convention Center. They claimed that is glorifying meth makers. Oh, my gosh. And this annoys me because, you know what? Yeah, they made meth for a fictional TV show. <laughs> right. But the attention the show has gotten has brought Albuquerque tons of business. I mean, it's probably boosted their economy because of the interest in the town. Uh, I've heard of many people flocking just to see what the city is like because of this TV show. A guy I work with has done the tour. They went and did the Breaking Bad tour through Albuquerque. Well, exactly. And what these idiots don't get is that uh, it's not glorifying meth-making it was glorifying an extremely popular TV show that was based in their city. Right. They just need to chill. You know what? We saw this here in Peoria, too, when they were going to put the statue of Richard Pryor and name the street after Richard Pryor in Peoria. Is that right? There were a lot of people who were up in arms because of his, you know, his, you know, obviously his past, his checkered past, so to speak, his drug use and his run-ins with the law and, you know, just his general persona. Yeah. But also, you know... <laughs> I mean, if you want to get nitpicky about it, but he was, it was a real statue of Richard Pryor. So I guess that'd be a little bit different. A better comp would be the statue of Rocky at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Um, if you want to get nitpicky, Rocky, the character, was a lone shark leg breaker. So, yeah. I mean, he wasn't exactly always above the law either. So, as far as fictional characters go, yeah, nobody's perfect, man. So, yeah, what a stupid thing to get upset about the yeah. statue of. Oh. Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. They're all up in arms. I, it's just dumb. I mean, you go on IMDb, it's still ranked as one of the highest rated TV shows ever. Oh, Breaking Bad is one of, one of my favorite. It's top five for me, favorite yeah. TV shows. So good, and it, it came full circle so well. Yeah. And not many shows can do that where it ends wonderfully. Yeah. Uh, I have a rant too, Terry. Yeah. And that is, you have to bear with me on this one. For the second time within the last year, I have been teased by the National Weather Service with the opportunity, possibility of being able to observe the Northern Lights. Yeah, that was in the news yesterday, right? Yesterday it happened again. Again, I went to look. Went to look in the early morning hours, walked up, walked outside, looked up to the northern horizon. Nothing. Yeah, it's always a, see a, thing. a maybe, maybe, maybe if you were in a 500 foot tower or something, you might have right. seen. A, I couldn't see it. a glimmer of it. So, and uh, that's the second time it's happened. Crystal and I even went out there one the last time, 
and I there's a place in the Ponset where it's kind of like a a little bit of a higher bluff raise, and you can see north like probably twenty miles. You can see it's a long way, so there's okay. nothing obstructing your view of the horizon. And you're a little bit of an elevated area, and we didn't see it either at all. And I was just disappointed. And this is the second time they've teased me because the Northern Lights are on Crystal's bucket list and mine as well yeah. of things we would like to see. Yeah, I know. I got a friend at work who went up to Alaska, and I didn't ask him about it, but I know they he was definitely looking forward to seeing that when he was up there. So it, it's it would be something sweet to see one day. Yeah, I definitely we're gonna do that at some point. We're gonna go to Alaska just to see the Northern Lights. Be the whole purpose of our trip is to see the Northern Or Lights. just go to Canada. It's even closer. Yeah, but I want to keep that money in America. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, whatever. Plus, Canada, who knows? You get up there, they might keep you. They're turning communists up there, you know? <laughs> we might end up with a wall. But we worry about the wall between us and Mexico. We can start thinking about that wall between us and Canada. You just knock down all the walls. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you have any other rants, Terry? Not this week. All right. How about some raves? Dude, I have my Cardinal fandom has been reinvigorated this year. Oh yeah, hey, I want to talk about something with you. Oh man, it has been just since the All Star break, especially it's just been so much fun to keep up and watch the Cardinals. And I know I mentioned it last week. Listen to it in the pool, and they've just been doing great lately. They beat the Brewers in a series. They uh, just swept the Rockies today with Pools hitting a grand slam. And he's at 690 home runs, and he's only 10 away from 700. Could it be done in, what, 45 games or so left in the season? Who knows? Maybe. I mean, you get him at the plate, maybe he can do it. Hey, he's at, let's say, he's at 697, and the season ends. He's done. Do you you bring him back next year to get 700? He's done. He already said he's done. Really? Regardless. He says that now, but wait a minute. Wait, the spring training rolls around next week, and he realizes he only has to hit three home runs to hit the 700. Yeah, he, he's done. You think he comes in and says, I'll play for the league minimum, just put me in there as a pinch hitter every once in a while? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he does. I think he goes off into the sunset and calls it a day. I think his is his farewell song. He's been having farewells at every stadium that he goes yeah, to, and it. people are respecting what he's brought to the game. Yeah, I don't know. He's setting records, it seems like, every other day. He's like, oh, now he's moved up into this place all time. And today, and him and Adam Wainwright, he hit a grand slam, and Wainwright threw seven scoreless innings. That was like the first time that had been done for by two people in their 40s ever. Oh, wow, yeah. That's crazy. So their first ones ever to do that. I know it's kind of a weird stat to put together, but... It, Baseball, that's one of the things I love about baseball, is you have all these opportunities to record-breaking. It's like he's the first person that wore two left shoes to to you know spit from the left side of the dugout during a rain delay. You know, so Baseball's got all these stats. It's a lovely game of stats. Uh, I did want to talk to you, speaking of stats, a story that I caught. Um, it may have even been last week before we went to the show and I forgot to put it in, but there was a Cardinals player in the minor leagues who did something that's only been done one other time in baseball history, I believe. And it was also by another Cardinals minor leaguer as well. Was it? Really? I didn't know that, but he, for our listeners, he did a home run cycle, yep. meaning he hit a solo shot, a two-run homer, a three-run homer, and a grand slam all in the same game. Yeah, it was absolutely nuts. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Chandler Redman 
was his name. Chandler Redmond, what a stud. That guy had a day, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they're not still not really talking about him like being a big deal coming to the majors yet. They still got Jordan Walker, who's possibly a future MVP, uh, down in the minors ready to come up in next year. Uh, and then they got another guy, Mason Wynn, who's coming along real good. And so they, they got some young talent down there, and they got just a lot to dig from, a lot in the barrel they can pull out of. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that 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 accomplishment is amazing. I mean, for one thing, to get pitched two after you've already gone yard three times, yeah, is enough. Is 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 enough. But on top of that, to have those situations arise in the game where you're up and there's two on, you're up and it's bases loaded, you're up and there's one on, you know, I mean, and to have it play out to where you get all four of those scenarios and you capitalize on each one of them. That's amazing. Insane. And they were winning by so much that I don't think the other team cared. They are just going to pitch to everybody. I got you. So, yeah, he, w- he was getting pitches no matter what. But, yeah, the, uh, it's it's been fun watching these Cardinals this year, man. Finish off now the they're, season. Now, uh, they're in first place, right? So, they're three games up on the Brewers right now. Yep. Probably about ooh, two games up on the wild card. Okay, so they need to take the division just to make sure. Yeah, they they according to ESPN, they're eighty six percent chance of making the playoffs right now. Nice. Cubs are not. <laughs> <laughs> not this year, but they got five games I, against the Cardinals next week. And I also think that uh, as of this week, the Bears have been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Dude, they yeah, they're mathematically eliminated like week thirteen last year <laughs> from so. this year's. <laughs> right, right. It's going to be rough. And now their best players holding out and wants a better co- wants to be traded, Roquan Smith. So uh, say goodbye to him because I think that if they can get something for it, they'll take it. They're in full on rebuild. And so, but I had a couple of raves too, Terry. This is interesting. I caught something. I just happened in my time scrolling on you know the internet today. I noticed a convergence of two events that happened on today's date. In history. Really? Yes. Completely unrelated, but uniquely interesting anyway. On August 18th, 1920, Terry, what happened? Where were you? August, August 8- 18th. August 18th, 1920. Is that when Babe Ruth got traded to the Yankees? No. It may have been, but that's not what I wrote down. No. The 19th Amendment was ratified. Here, Terry, check your constitutional history. What was the 19th Amendment? Not the uh, giving women the right to vote? Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. Women got the right to vote in 1920, and we've been electing stupid people ever since. I don't want to brag, but I got 100 on my Constitution test. <laughs> I don't remember what I got. I passed it, but I don't remember. <laughs> I remember I because the teacher is like, well, we got our first perfect score, but they forgot to write their name at the top of it. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, there was some uh, fill in the blanks on that test, so I was able to be like, "Yeah, that's my handwriting." <laughs> right. Oh wow. Uh, and then also on March eighteenth, nineteen eighty-six, what happened, Terry? On what? On what day? March or not March? August eighteenth, nineteen eighty-six. Today, today's date in nineteen eighty-six. What happened? Challenger explode? No, it wasn't that important. Oh, I think uh, much less important. Uh, Dwight Gooden threw a perfect game. Nope. But Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi was released ah, okay. August 18th, 1986. Good album. Yeah, great album. It was when we did Def Leppard, we talked a little bit about how 
it was uh Slippery When Wet was a, uh, a really close runner up to best hair band hair band album of all time. Yeah, he was that was a good one. That was a good one. Yep. So those are my raves, Terry. Did you have any other raves? No, that was it. Cardinals this week, man. Just I've been looking at it way closer than I have been over the past ten years. I mean, okay. I mean, wow. I'm into it like hard right now. Like I'm mad that I don't have cable, and it's been on ESPN <laughs> Plus a few times, which I do have access to thanks to my Disney uh, Plus package. Right. So yeah, and every now and then it'll be it'll say, "Oh, it's blacked out in your area." I'm like, "Oh, that's too bad." And I check like 20 minutes later and it lets me watch it. Oh, nice. So I'll take it. Well, all right. Well, in that mindset, uh, set Terry of the heroic effort of getting, you know, access to your beloved Cardinals games. Do we have a Todd Beamer hero of the week? Yeah. A seven-year-old. Seven-year-old? Okay. Yeah. What did he do? Yeah, he's from Sacramento, and he was the unlikely savior of a three-year-old toddler who would have certainly drowned without help. Wow. So last week, seven-year-old Messiah Brown went down to enjoy the pool at the apartment complex where he lives when he noticed uh, uh, something out of the ordinary. I was just playing in the pool, and then I saw a boy at the bottom of the pool, he said. Uh, I went I went to go get him. Swimming down into six feet of water, he grabbed the arm of a three-year-old toddler whose eyes and mouth were open and managed to pull him to the surface, where a relative of Messiah, the nine-year-old Savannah, helped them both onto the solid ground. Adults who had caught wind of what was happening had called 911 and raced down to help. According to ABC, Savannah's mom performed CPR on the child who was helped to breathe again by the same fire. Uh, by the time fire and rescue had arrived, child was oh. transported in critical condition with li- advanced life support efforts provided by Sacramento firefighters. And yeah, don't have any update on him yet. Hopefully, only good. Messiah's wow. father, Marcus, an Olympic boxer who re- represented U.S. in the 2012 Olympics, said his son loves the water and swims like a fish. But that, despite despite the surprise, it really typed who Messiah is. He's super empathetic, so for him to do something like that, I mean, it's really nothing out of the norm. It's just crazy that he's seven years old and doing something like that. That's uh, that's amazing. So, yeah, seven years old, jumping in the pool. I mean, let's throw out the fact that no parents were around and a three-year-old yeah. was in the stinking pool. Yeah, we'll skate by that for now, just so we don't take away from this young but, man's. But yeah, the kiddo jumped in there and did that. Six feet of water. You gotta imagine how tall a seven year old kid, even a tall, tall seven year old, is right. is short. You know, he's probably yeah. four foot, four two. I don't, I don't stand up in six feet of water. No, forty eight. Yeah, and it's just nuts. I mean, we would have been able to just yeah dump jump down in there and get the kid, but. I mean, this kid had to swim down there to get to it. It's like us jumping the, yeah. the twelve foot end to get a kid. Right. That is very impressive. That's very impressive. That kid. Uh, what an amazing story that there, his family is going to be able to tell about him for the rest of his life. Ah, no kidding. That's amazing. And uh, so yeah, so and with a name like Messiah, he was kind of born to play that role. I know. What are, what are the odds, you know? Right. There's not that many people walking around with the name Messiah to begin with, and for one of them to actually save people, that's a very uh, serendipitous, for sure. Good choice of words. All right. Well, uh, as we move from the Todd Beamer Hero of the Week, Terry, do we have any record breakers? 
in the news this week. Record breakers as in Guinness Book of World Records. All right. Uh, this week we got Asha Mandela. And she has a world's longest hair, and it's not even close. World's longest hair. Yes. 60-year-old Claremont of Claremont, Florida, her locks uh, measure in at 19 feet, 6 and a half inches. And that was in November of 2009. Today, her luxurious locks are even longer. And according to her biography, bio on uh, Instagram, they now measure up to 110 feet. I looked at the pictures. That's 11 stories. I know. I looked at the pictures. It looks like some of her hair reaches that long. It's not all of her hair, but it's still, the hair is ridiculous. Uh, She first began growing out her lovely locks over 40 years ago after moving from the island of Trinidad and Tobago to New York. Uh, Her her beautifully maintained locks, which weigh in an astonishing 42 pounds, are her crowning glory. She said, I refer to my own hair as my royal crown or locks or my cobra. (laughs) Because it's just a long snake, like they're dreads, basically. Okay. She said, when I'm ready to go into sleep chamber with my cobra baby, I would have them tied up in a little sack and we cuddle and talk to each other. <laughs> okay, so she's nuts. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, she described the process of growing out her famous tresses as part of a spiritual quest to change her life. She said, I want to be able to get in my roots when I wash my hair to make sure it's clean and not have to walk around with the stigma of other people saying there's no way it could be clean. The process of washing her locks includes using up to six bottles of shampoo once a week and two full days for them to dry. And she, uh, yeah, it's a routine she has devoted countless hours to. Uh, She often will carry her locks in a fabric sling to prevent them from trailing along the floor and to alleviate alleviate the strain on her neck. And she doesn't plan on cutting it anytime soon. Can you send me that? Because I want to, I want to tra- tra- pass it along to Crystal. I think she would get a, <laughs> she would get a kick out of that story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing it right now. What? But, but just nuts. And she is. That's kinda, crazy. A hundred and ten feet. Yeah, it, it is, and it's, it's wild. I don't even get it. And Bianca Belair, eat your heart out. Oh yeah, it's not even close. <laughs> not even close to what Bianca. Or Bianca's not even close. All right, I have sent it to you, so yeah, forward that on to old Crystal there. I will. I'll forward it for sure. That sounds like uh, something that we ride up her alley. A <laughs> hundred and ten feet. Forty years. You said she's been growing her hair. Forty years. Yep. Incredible. Incredible. All right. Well, let's keep this show rolling, Terry. Okay. Because now we are up to this week's installment of the United States of Rob. Again, to clue and to, to remind our listeners on weeks where I pick the subject matter of the night, the I will be doing the United States of Rob, the changes I would make if I was in charge. If I got to set the new rules, what would I do? How are you going to change us now? I'm going to change us by, now this is going to be a little bit more in-depth and detailed than uh, any of the other ones I've done, including Hot Takes and United States of Rob. Because we're going to have to start to throw a few numbers out there on this one. I'm going to simplify the tax code, Terry. Okay. How are you going to do that? We have right now what is known as uh, what is described as a progressive tax code, meaning the more money you make, the higher percentage of that money you pay in taxes, which is, I believe, a fair system, but is one that I don't think is obviously as effective as it could be. Okay. When you combine it. So to let you guys in on what we do now, 
our progressive tax code now stands at for single tax filers. And these numbers are basically doubled if you're married filing jointly. But for single filers, if you make up to $10,000, a little over $10,000, you'd only pay 10% in taxes. That's going to be your high school workers, probably, uh, you know, your extreme part time workers. Um, they're only going to pay 10% um, of their income for taxes. Now, between 10275 and 41775 if you were in that range, you pay 12%. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, and just a quick reminder, too, when we're talking about these, is that all the money up to 10275 is taxed at 10%. So, even if, like, say you make $600,000 a year, that first 10000 is still only taxed at 10%. Does that make sense? Yeah. These are steps. And not necessarily rungs on a ladder, they're steps. So if uh if you make upwards of if you make up to eighty nine thousand dollars, you will end up having part of it taxed at twenty two percent. Up to one hundred and seventy thousand dollars will be at twenty four percent. Up to two hundred and sixteen thousand dollars would be thirty two percent. Up to five hundred and forty thousand dollars would be thirty five percent, and anything over that is then taxed at thirty seven percent. Okay. So if you're making, you know, if you make six hundred thousand dollars a year, you're getting uh, everything over five hundred and forty thousand is taxed at thirty seven percent, which is a chunk. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's like, "Oh, I make six hundred grand a year. Can I just make five hundred ninety nine nine and call it a day?" Right. Now, I am proposing to simplify our tax code. Oh, and to go on to um, corporations, the corporate tax rate is hovers around 28% is for a corporate tax rate. But loopholes often drive that down to near zero. Or less. Where there ways, <laughs> yeah, where there are ways for a lot of corporate tax loopholes end up where corporations pay 0% in income taxes. I don't pretend to understand everything about finance and the tax code. But I've come up with a plan that I think, at the very least, would be one that could be considered. Okay. And it's simple. Simple is what I like. And that tax code is a 10-20-30 tax code. All right. Rather than 10-12, 22, 24, 32, 35, 37, we do 10-20-30. Okay? And this is how it's going to figure in for everybody. Sorry, I had to sneeze there, so it was a moment of silence for my <laughs> sneeze. But I did hit the mute button on the mic, so you're welcome for that. <laughs> as far as personal income tax, anything up to 41000 almost $42,000 for simplicity would be taxed at 10%. Anything up to $170,000 would be taxed at 20%. Anything over $170,000 is taxed at 30%. Now... You don't have the numbers right in front of you, so I'll just have to take my word for it that that lowers everybody's income tax, okay? Okay. Either keeps it the same or lowers it. In fact, the only people where it stays the same is that 10% people. There were 10% to begin with. They don't benefit from this at all because it's the same thing they were doing. Yeah. But, you know, other people, everybody's coming down a couple of percentage points on their income tax. Like, okay, well, how do you do that? Uh, we'll talk about government spending in a different podcast with the United States of Rob because I think you could, tra- you could trim a lot there. But we're setting the corporate tax rate at flat out 30% corporate tax rate. Raise it by 2%, 2% of 
But here's where it gets a little bit. You have to be careful when you start messing around with that because you don't want them to stop hiring people and you don't want to go through another recession. So we'll give them leeway, but they have a hard floor of 20%. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Their normal corporate tax rate would be at 30, but with all the little ins and outs they have, uh, you know, in reinvestments, cap, you know, with the, however they work it now, they can lower that tax bill down to 20%, but that's a hard floor. All right. I like that. What this does is will also, for individuals, remove all deductions other than a child tax credit. Allow just the one. And here's the thing where it really gets sweet, Terry. The outside of a business, if you have your own business, your taxes are just going to be a little bit more complicated because you're allowed to deduct you know, the things you use. I'm not going to change that. You'll still pay that uh, corporate tax rate of 30% on adjusted gross income past expenses. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. No deductions on individual taxes means nobody's going to have a problem filing taxes because employers will be responsible for tracking and withdrawing the correct amount. So say, for example, uh, you work at the hospital, mm-hmm. and let's say that you've got, you, you're doing very well, Terry, and you are now making $185,000 a year. Okay. Which would be nice, right? Right. That's going to put you into that 30% tax bracket, but only for thirty thousand for fifteen thousand dollars because it's stair stepped again. So your your employer and your paycheck up to the point where you make forty one thousand dollars that year, they tax you at ten percent and that's what they withdraw. From that point on, the rest of the money you make, they tax at twenty percent until you hit to hundred and seventy thousand. And then they make that adjustment with what they withdraw. And of course once you hit past 170000 everything else you make the rest of that year, they tax you at 30%, and that's what they withdraw. So if you don't have kids, you don't have to file a tax return. Okay. Your employer has already done your taxes for you. If you have kids, then you would file uh, your child tax credit uh, request for however many kids you have, and then you would get that. All right. So that would be, I don't know, you'd say, uh, just for easy math, let's say it's uh, five thousand. No, let's say it's five thousand dollars per kid. That would be the re- only refunds coming back would be child tax credit refunds. So you don't want people to get tax refunds each year? No. Okay. Because I want people to pay them with the tax they owe each time, and then have, they have the opportunity. Because here now, I will admit that for most people, this would not be something they would do. But somebody mentioned to me one time, and it made perfect sense. Why am I trusting the government to invest my money that they're taking from me and giving me zero return on it? Yeah. If, for example, they overtax me throughout the year, I make no money in interest off that money that's taken that ends up coming back to me. The government just took out a zero interest loan from me without my permission. Yeah. This eliminates that. So now they're only taking what is owed them throughout the year. That burden is then laid on the employer. Now, if you're self-employed, obviously, whole different shebang. You got to keep track of all that. Same thing. But I think that simplifies the tax code, eliminates stress, headache, and actually reduces the amount of work that the IRS would have to do. Yeah. You'd be able to slash the IRS. Yeah. And uh, 
I think that when you take the corporate close, a lot of those corporate loopholes, you'll increase revenue by reducing taxes on individuals. Now, those individuals will have more money to spend. Guess where they're spending it? In corporations. <laughs> you know, they're spending it in the economy. Are you sure you don't know much about this? <laughs> I don't. I wish I knew. I wish I knew more. Yeah, you should propose this to your congressman. I think it would be a good idea. So, yeah, be a tough, I think the tough tax sell, code. of course, with the people who have money and control everything. But yeah, because you're telling these corporations that have been getting away with paying zero percent that they're going to pay at least twenty. That's going to be a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah, and they're putting money in all those uh, different congressmen's pockets. So yeah, but again, this is like I said, this is United States of Rob. This is if by some chance uh, divine occurrence, I am made to where I just redesign how our government works. This is one of the things I would do. I think it's a good idea. I, I hate okay. doing taxes. No one really enjoys doing them, but it is nice to get a paycheck when you can. But like you said, if you, it's not there, you ain't missing it. Right. If everybody's not and, uh, expecting one, then you're not missing it, and you'll save money better probably. And I like too that it, uh, the only caveat would be is I wish we could do this, and I don't know if we could ever get away with it. Do you realize it never used to be where your taxes were withheld to begin with? No. And that the reason they, I believe that the reason they did it was to shield how much your taxes actually are, because when it comes out every paycheck, once again, like you said, it's never in your hand. But if you just get your paycheck every well, I've experienced this now because with Crystal and the salon, where we have to keep track of income and everything else, when you realize just how much you owe, let's say you work all year and you haven't paid the taxes yet and they give you the bill and it's $12,000, people would freak out, Terry, yep. and demand to understand why their taxes are so high. Yep. But because that money comes out every paycheck, you don't ever actually see it. I mean, you got to look through your pay stub to find out how much was taken out and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they took that out. But it's week to week or it's bi-weekly or however often you get paid. It's not one lump sum and you're not handed a bill for $12,000 that you got to pay the government. Because if that happened, I think we'd see a whole lot of people demanding change. Yeah. I say that money works in the first place. It's like if you live in this country, the government should just have the money and you make what you make, and that's what it is. Instead of having to do all these deductions and right, and stop taking money from us, and just this is how much money the government gets, and that's it. I mean, you got to pay taxes. You got to pay. Somebody's got to pay for the military. Somebody's got to pay for the roads. Somebody's got to pay for all this other stuff that's going on. You got to pay for these social services. You got to pay for all this thing. All these things. I get paying taxes. I get it too, I but I just don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I want it simpler. And this eases the taxpayer. This eases the burden on the taxpayers, no. and throws it back on the corporations. That's I would like that. Uh, one thing I would be curious about is how do they do taxes in other countries? That I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. I'm sure each country's got their own way of doing them, and some probably don't take out anywhere near as much as we do, and maybe some take out more than we do. But I don't know. I'd be curious to know learn that. I do know that a lot of the so, more socialist uh, countries are, you know, uh, you remember the band Europe? Yeah. I remember hearing a story about them where they had, they changed their nationality because where they came from, and I, can't, I think it was Sweden. I think it was Sweden. 
Anyway, they pay like a 70% income tax. Really? And so they actually had to like leave the country, leave their country because they were taking most of their money. That's weird because so those Nordic countries are usually uh, among the top best places to live and my happiest well, because places got to live. Ev- yeah, they may be happy. That's because everybody is, I don't know, has, it's, there's a, they probably are great. They have, the government has lots of money to spend on everything that, you know, those wellness programs and all that other stuff. So, you know. Oh, no. And if you grew up with it, I guess you don't really recognize it being that high. It's just what you're used to. Yeah, be curious to learn more about all this. Yeah, so that was my United States of Rob entry for this week, a simplified tax code. I'm sure that was riveting Oh yes. all of our listeners. Hope you liked it. I did, actually. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. I, I was a little nervous about that one. I was like, well, how detailed do I want to get on this? Yeah, it is a boring topic, but you broke it down pretty nice. Okay. All right. Well, let's break down tonight's movie, Terry. Oh, what movie? We are doing The Unforgiven. Not the song. Oh, dang it. That movie. I forgot I was supposed to be working on that. Well, let's uh I'll tell you what, Terry. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you the stats on the basic info on Unforgiven. All right. And maybe it'll jog your memory. Okay. How many times did you listen to the Black Album this week just to get ready for this? (laughs) Oh, man. Unforgiven was released on August 7th, 1992 with a rating of R and a runtime of 210 minutes. The movie was produced on a budget of $14.4 million, did a U.S. run worth $101 million, and worldwide closing out at $159 million, which I fired up the old inflation calculator Translates to three hundred and thirty-five million in today's dollars. Good chunk of change. That's a nice return on investment. I have a question. Did you say two hundred and ten minutes? It was a three and a half hour movie. No, 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 two hours and ten minutes. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) I was like, dang, I don't remember being that long. I thought it was just like a two-hour movie. (laughs) I misread my own notes. It's two. I had a colon there, and uh, I just read it wrong. So yeah, it was two hours and ten minutes long. It uh, starred Clint Eastwood as William Money. Gene Hackman as Little Bill, Morgan Freeman as Ned Logan, James Wolvet as the Schofield Kid, Saul Rubinek as W.W. Beauchamp, Francis Fisher as Strawberry Alice, and Anna Thompson as Delilah Fitzgerald. The synopsis, basic IMD synopsis of this movie is retired Old West gunslinger William Money reluctantly takes on one last job with the help of his old partner Ned Logan and a young man, the Schofield Kid, which gives us nothing about what happens in this movie. Not not too much at all. No. And what happens in this movie is a... Uh, how do I want to describe this? A complete restructuring of how a Western movie plays out on the screen. That's a that's a good way to put it, I suppose. I mean, we have a a an intensely emotional movie dealing with these these uh events that transpire. And to give you the the the, the, the more uh, expansive synopsis of this movie is a couple of young cowboys are at a brothel and one of them in a drunken rage attempts to kill and basically slices up the face of one of the uh ladies of the evening working at that brothel and uh and the punishment for him was pretty tame 
Uh, he was required to give, I think it was six ponies, to the owner of the brothel. Not to the woman who was cut up, but to the owner of the brothel. And the women of the brothel, the workers, decided that was decidedly unfair. Yeah, you, I don't know, man. Six ponies, that's quite a bit of money for But it's not paid horse. for the person they did the damage to. Uh, yeah, I know. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I okay. And then so... I'll get to that later. Uh, <laughs> in their anger, they send out the word that they have placed a bounty on the heads of these two cowboys and will pay uh, $1,000 yep. to anyone who will kill them. And thus, we start to see the events of this story unfold. Yep. Terry, you had mentioned last week that you had never seen this movie before. So you watched this as a first-time viewer. Yes. What were your, some of your impressions? It was slow. A very slow. It's very slow. It's a very slow movie. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you some good things first. I did. Okay. I did. I love the the set design. I guess you would call it. But just where they filmed, I, I loved all that. I thought it was. It really felt like I was back in the eighteen hundreds. It didn't feel like a Hollywood backlot or something like this. I. It really felt like I was back then, and I liked that part of it. Um. When I saw Gene Hackman on screen, I mean, once he got going... Oh, he steals the show in this movie. Yeah, I, Gene Hackman was my very good in this. Morgan Freeman did his thing. He was good. Nothing blowing your mind with it. But Gene Hackman, he had a menace to him that I really liked in this movie. So, Oh, yeah. And then he brought that back in the movie, The Quick and the Dead, as well. He's, he's just good in this role, and I'm glad he was in this movie. Uh, Gene Hackman is a big, bold letter good for this i have it in big block letters good because <laughs> he steals the he steals this movie yeah from clean eastwood yeah without a doubt yeah you say steals but uh i just don't feel like i mean i don't even want to jump into it this soon because okay. we're getting down to my bad and ugly and i don't want to do that yet we'll just okay. we'll say gene hackman was amazing in this movie he was he, okay. he, he was really good uh, I also like Beauchamp. I like I liked that yeah. character. I like having that guy right there on the outside who's just trying to stay alive but still write an important story. And I don't know. I, I like that part about it. He was he was a good character. I have that written down in my good as well, but I use I came at it from a different direction. I love the use of myth building in world in this movie. Exactly. Where you see how and, and they did this in Braveheart too. <laughs> where you see this, the tales of William Wallace mm-hmm. being exaggerated through each telling. And you kind of see this in this movie, too, through the eyes of Beauchamp, yep. who believes everything. Like, for example, he's traveling with English, English Bob. Yeah, who's and, uh, the best. Yeah, well, he's full of it, yeah. come to find out. Yeah. But Beauchamp believes every word he says. And it becomes myth-making. The way he, at the very end, well, we get, you know, obviously, no, we're not worried about a spoiler. This movie is 30 years old. Uh but the way he at the end his he's in after William Money shoots down everybody in the saloon and he's like he killed five people single handedly he was in awe of it he still yep. thinks of these people like mythological characters yeah it was cool because yeah he's just like he couldn't believe it he he'd been hearing all these stories and now he actually gets to witness a story of his own right here right in front of him so. And I'm going to tell the tale. I get to be the one to tell the story, and that's that was pretty cool. And that guy sold it, and 
you really felt that come from him in that movie and yeah i like the i like that character i can't remember his name but he was good absolutely uh one of the things i had in the good that we can talk about is i liked i think i, I briefly mentioned about it i'll go into details it was a non-traditional western yeah in that the good guys and the bad guys were no longer clearly defined yeah because you have william money who in any other western is the villain yeah and yet here in this one he's our protagonist yeah that- him and ned both are contract killers they're assassins mm-hmm. they're horrible men but here they're our heroes yeah, and when I think of um, in a movie with an assassin that's a protagonist, they're usually the kind of assassin that kills people that deserve to be killed. That are there's a reason why there's money on their head, but not not with William Money in this movie. No, he is a, he's a killer of women and children. Yeah, and that's and did not be, was not rooting for him at all. <laughs> no, even so you didn't root for him at all in the movie from the beginning at all. Nah. Alex, no. I'll just tell you now what I what I wrote down in my ugly. I said I honestly wasn't that impressed with Eastwood's acting in this movie. I thought it was bland and boring. Uh, he, I've seen him go deep before, and he he can be a good actor. I uh, just no emotional depth in this movie. He was just like the same throughout almost the whole movie. And yeah. uh, I did, like I said, I didn't feel bad for Bill Money at all. I didn't overly sympathize with him. And you talked about how he killed women and children. It's like I don't care. Uh, if you're a protagonist or not, it's hard for me to want to feel for the guy, whether he was drunk when he did it or not. That's, I'll, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, that's a good point about him. He doesn't really seem to come alive or change until he finds out Ned's dead. Yeah. And I think that if I was to analyze what's going on in the director's mind in this movie, maybe they played it him so level going up to that so that that turn is more pronounced. Yeah, I wish it was more pronounced than it was still. I just didn't, I didn't feel like it was as intensive as it should have been. I don't know. I remember getting, when I watched it, uh, I remember getting, like not like full-on chills, but like when he grabs that bottle of whiskey from the Schofield kid after they find out that Ned's been uh, tortured and tortured to death, yeah. and he grabs a bottle of whiskey, I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know it's <laughs> going down now. Yeah. yeah, something's about to happen. I felt that, too. Yeah. And uh, what I meant by non-traditional Western, too, like I said, is that your, your good guys and bad guys, the lines are blurred. Little Bill is ostensibly on the right side of the law, but he's brutal, sadistic, and egocentric. Yeah. And he's completely out of line and how he treats people because uh, simply you know violating a city ordinance, he darn near, darn near kills English Bob and William Money at different points in the movie for no other crime than not surrendering their firearms, which is a traditional Western motif. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to bring a hot take to this okay. podcast. And I wrote it down so I didn't miss anything. To be honest, I felt that Little Bill wasn't all that in the wrong at all. Now, keep in mind, this is the Old West. I'm not condoning his decisions in any way, but in that time period, I feel they're a lot closer to appropriate than we're given it. Uh, Okay. Unfortunately, women were treated poorly back then, and prostitutes were even treated worse. Uh, 
they were going to whip uh, Davy Bunning and Quick Mike for their assault, right? And then they then they end ch- changing their mind, taking ponies instead. Uh, but like I said, horses ain't cheap, man. That was like gold back, and you had a horse. That was a big deal. You had a horse because those they are expensive. That was that was a big deal to have that many horses. Uh, I understand that prostitutes wanted justice, and essentially just finding them wasn't enough because that's what they did was find them, right. <laughs> give us your ponies. Right. I get that. But if Lil Bill kills every person that roughs someone up, even just prostitutes, he'd probably have killed a lot of men. But he does obviously get darker in the movie. But as far as way he handled that situation, I was like, eh, it sucks, but it means the old West. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I, can, I can see that. I do think that there was he 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 was a little bit dismissive of uh, the claims uh, of the of the wrong that was done to this girl. Yeah, that's pretty violent what they did to that girl. Yeah, like I said, there they was cut her up bad. There wasn't much respect for those type of women back in the day, though. Either I mean, I get it. I mean, you see lots of old westerns or even documentaries where they got tore up pretty good, and they just moved on with life because it's like, oh well. It's like that. You chose that line of work. That's kind of what you get. Is how they treated them. And that, like I said, I don't condone any of it. It's just that's the way it was. That's a good hot take, Terry. That's a good hot take. That's got that's got some uh, legs to it. I can. You could convince me on that. Uh, I just also, but the uh, what was I gonna say? Anyway, it'll come back to me. One of the things that I was when I was saying before about the non-traditional Western too was that it gave you a realistic uh, portrayal of violence, and not just violence, but the aftermath of violence. Yes, I did like the way they looked afterwards. Yes, and actually, just the the emotional toll that it takes on all parties involved. And the best way that this, if you had to distill it down into one scene, is when they kill the first guy, mm-hmm. and they're now they're they're hiding up behind those rocks, and they shoot him. He catches him in the gut. And if I don't know this obviously personally, but from what I've been told and what I understand is that once if you have a a abdominal injury, a severe abdominal injury, it is a slow and very painful death. Yeah, and back then you're not fixing that. Not no, you're and you're just you're just waiting to die in in basically in agony. And uh, as he's out there and he's you know he's saying no, oh, they shot me and and. And all his friends are hunkered down. He's just asking for water, and he can see he's starting to break. That's getting to him, and you know, just that moment, that moment there, mm-hmm. where it's just like he's like this, and then Clint's like, "Just give him some water. We're not going to shoot you. <laughs> give him some water." <laughs> it's just surreal, yeah, because you're like, you know, and it kind of paints him even in that moment. It almost tries to paint him as being a sympathetic figure, but the reason this kid needs water. It's because you just shot him in the gut. Yeah. And you have no problem sitting there listening to him die. Yeah. And for me in that scene, it, it almost felt like they took a break in acting. or just like, hey, just give him some water. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> no, I just didn't feel like the acting was as intense as I would have liked as for the moment. I mean, yes, he was bleeding out. But like, hey. See, that's what I kind of liked about it. I didn't think it was overdone. It was very subtle. And like they were trying to put it into like. You know, not every time in in a in a death do you have like these grand, dramatic, operatic, scenic things happen. The guy was just dying of, 
You know, he was dying. He was bleeding out, and he was thirsty. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've probably been screaming the entire time that I was shot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how well I would handle a painful death. I think I might be, I might punk out and, like you said, be be uh, acting like a little, you know, <laughs> I'd be putting on a show. Yeah, gunshot wounds aren't really uh, portrayed the way they are in real life very well in hardly any movie because you work at a hospital, you get someone coming to a gunshot victim, they're most almost always screaming, yelling, oh my God, oh my God, because they got shot. <laughs> And, and it hurts. It hurts a lot. <laughs> you have no idea how much this hurts. I know I'm not the one that got shot. I will say one bad about this. Um, in my bad is that in this scene, is that uh, once I heard it this way, I could never unhear it again. And that's that scene with him talking about, I'm dying. They got me. They shot me. It kind of reminds me of when Will Ferrell's character is killed in Austin Powers. Mustafa. He's like, yeah, Mustafa. He's like, I'm really in terrible pain. And he's just yelling down there, dying really slow. <laughs> Do you remember that scene? I absolutely remember that scene. He did it again in the second one, I think, too, when he was younger. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's just, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Uh, I was, like you said, uh, I had in my bad also, the dialogue isn't always the best in this movie. No. The dialogue is 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 a little bit lacking. And that um, you have a lot of like his conversation, William Money's conversation with uh, Delilah, the the prostitute who had been cut up, and she's trying to offer him a free one, and he's like one word answers, and it's just very monotone, and and uh, yeah. I was like, okay, um, I see what you're trying to do here, but maybe a little more exposition, yeah. okay? From what I understand, and I may have put this in my facts. Uh, I don't think I did, though. But they took this script and almost did it exactly the way the script said. Almost every movie that comes out, they change things in the script throughout to make it work better. They didn't do it with this. So whatever was written on that page is probably what you saw on screen. And you know what? That's From what I understand, that's Clint Eastwood's M.O. Yeah. He wants to get in, get it done, get out. Yeah. He hasn't spent a lot of time reshooting. He doesn't take a lot of takes. He's like, this is what we're going to do. And uh, so uh, I really enjoyed a lot of the 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 way he kept it on a very low level as far as, the you know, it wasn't, they weren't mythologizing anybody. Everything was kept real. It was very realistic. Uh, and so much so that I don't know whether I want to call this bad or not. But the Schofield kid is one of the most irritating characters I've ever watched in a movie. Oh, yeah. I couldn't stand him. I was like, God, just, something happened to him. Why Why is he still alive? You know, and Why can't he get shot? Yeah. I mean, we got to have a casualty somewhere on this side of the fence. Ends up being Ned. But no, Schofield kid's alive to the end. Yep. he's He survives. And uh, which, again, I don't know whether to put that in the good or the bad because I don't remember seeing this kid acting in anything else. So I don't know if he's just a brilliant actor who's made me dislike him or if this is just all he can do. And uh, that's the way this came out, this luck of the draw. Because I know what they were going with him where he's trying to tough talk, talk. Oh, my gosh. You got this. Yeah. He's trying to talk a lot tougher than he actually is. He's a, what Texans would call 
all hat, no cattle kind of guy. And uh, so I, I get that that's what they were doing, but he almost did too good a job of making me believe that because I don't think I would believe him in anything he was ever in. I know. I I, I, I thought I wanted him to get off the screen as fast as possible, too. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't in much uh, else. Seriously, he's one of those guys that was just in a lot of bit parts and stuff and stuff you haven't seen. But I don't know. And to, to, to give him a little benefit of the doubt, he's standing in a scene with Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman for good chunks of this movie. Yeah, I know. How would you like to try to try to function as an actor in between those two guys? Yeah, you, he'll never forget it, that's for sure. Right. This is before Morgan Freeman was Morgan Freeman. This is... He had done Lean on Me and Glory before this, I believe, so he was still just setting his spot in uh, Hollywood right there. So Now, uh... You weren't impressed by the pacing of this movie. No, way too slow. And I mean, I, I, I fell asleep. I think the yeah, I did. I fell asleep about an hour into it, and I was like, I, I gotta go to bed. I just it was only like eleven, and I was already asleep. And I usually I can stay up way past that and want to finish a movie, but I had my phone down. I was paying attention real close and. Then the next day, I watched it like the rest of it in the afternoon or something. I was just like, just not doing it for me. You could have taken, I think you could have taken at least 20 minutes off this movie. God dang. I almost thought you could have shot this thing in an hour. <laughs> that might be pushing. <laughs> but yeah, I looked online at a lot of critics' reviews and how they were praising and how it was so good. There are a few people out there, though, that feel the same as I do. Uh, after I typed all this out, and I was like, okay, I'm not the only one out here. Because I was like, am I a jerk or something? It's ranked so high, and everybody loves this movie. And then, no, there's other people out there who feel the same. I do love this movie. I really did. And that's why I chose it. It is. It did win four Oscars. Yeah. This movie took home four Oscars. It took home Best Picture. Which surprised me. It took me. home Best, Best Supporting Actor, Gene Hackman. Which is not surprising. He's great in this movie. Uh, best director, Clint Eastwood, and best film editing. Yeah. Which, okay. Uh, I think a few good men should have won that year. <laughs> uh, was that? That's what it was up against a few good men? Yep. Howard's End, Son of a Woman, and Crying Game. You really could make the argument for a few good men, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. I would have if I was on the, in the Academy. Because they already get yeah you because you could have given best picture because they gave best director to Eastwood yeah and uh man that's a that's a good one because I really love both of those movies and see it, I have a feeling if I were someone that had watched a lot of western movies when I was younger and really gotten into a lot of them then watched this maybe it would have hit different. I don't know. See, I grew up on westerns because my dad watched them yeah. all the time. Yeah, my old man watched them a few times, but I usually was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to go upstairs and play with my toys. <laughs> yep. So I remember watching westerns a lot as a kid, and I think that's what I really liked about this is because it was a different western. It was a different kind of western. It wasn't what I was used to. Yeah. Um, I do love Clint Eastwood. I, I know you had said that you didn't think that this was a great performance from him. He was nominated for Best Actor yeah. in this movie. Yeah, he was. And uh, I liked the, 
I liked his low key performance, and like I said before, I think it it works well for his his turn back to the dark side at the end. So yeah, uh, uh, the the that was the bad that I had. The dialogue wasn't always the best, and a Schofield kid. Did you have any other bad, Terry? No, I gave you my bad, and that was the uh, how I my hot take about Little Bill okay. and my ugly was Eastwood's acting. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Gene Hackman then, because like I said, I think he steals this movie from Clint Eastwood. He was great. It's kind of it's the way Jack Nick Nicholson stole Batman from Michael Keaton. Uh, there's certain times you see the movie. Gene Hackman has got to go down as one of the best character actors in the history of Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge Gene Hackman fan. Almost everything he's in, back all the way back to like uh, the Poseidon Adventure, uh, French Connection, whatever. I, he just to uh, when he stopped filming. He was great. Yeah. One of the last movies he did was Runaway Jury. He was phenomenal in that. And yeah. I, oh yeah, that movie. That's a great movie. Yeah, he could act in an empty room and people would tune in. He was he was awesome. He knew how to command the screen. And he and, could do it as the supporting actor or as a lead actor cuz I mean Hoosiers. Mhm. The way he ran that that was just a classic movie. Hoosiers is a great movie. And uh, I mean he could go from the from the the ridiculous playing Lex Luthor in the original Superman mm-hmm. movies to, you know, like you said, Runaway Jury, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Uh, I think he has a great job here. He's, I think he deserved that Oscar here. He steals this movie from, it's hard to steal a movie from Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Hackman's where it's at. Yeah. I 100% agree. <clears throat> he wins this movie. He's the, he's the best thing about this. You want to know a fun fact about Hackman? Sure. He almost didn't do this movie because he thought it was too violent. Because he thought it was really? way too violent, and he didn't want to put his name on something like that. But he just couldn't stop looking at that script and thinking he loved the way it was written. So he was perfect for this role. I I can't really imagine anybody else being as good as him in this role. But yeah, he he was awesome. Yeah, and like I said, I did love this movie. I I I, uh, I know you you're not the, the biggest fan, but uh, I loved it. I I I admit it is a little bit long. Pacing is a little bit slow, but I think that is done intentionally. You probably could have taken some off this movie, though. You're right. I think 20 yeah. minutes could have come off of this. Keep in mind, first time I'm seeing it is 2022, and movies are a lot more fast paced nowadays. A little bit. So when I watched Casino, it didn't hit as well. When I watched this movie, it didn't hit as well for the first time. You know. So, uh, I had one ugly, and this was a specific. If you remember, after they've killed the second cowboy, and William Money and Schofield Kid are waiting outside of town underneath that tree, mm-hmm. and you see the one prostitute right out there with their money. And he says to her, I stood here and watched you come to see if you were followed. <clears throat> you can clearly see the town. I know. And that means that they could clearly see them. Yeah. Where's the posse riding out? I mean, it's 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 plain as day. Yeah. You can see it. You could be able to, you're close enough that had somebody been walking in front of the window inside of one of those buildings, yeah. you'd see them move. Yeah. And it's just, it completely floored me that <laughs> they let it happen. It should have been where you couldn't see the town at all, and they see you come up through some pass. Somewhere. Or even just just the top of the building from way far away, where you can tell it's miles and miles away. But no, yeah. it, it's yeah. it's about a quarter mile down the road, <laughs> right? Oh, I guess they're invisible now. 
There's, there's these two guys have been killed. They know who did it, and uh, which I just I couldn't get past that. Yeah, for sure. Uh all right. Did you have anything else? Let's go to your fun facts now first before we go to final questions. All right. Uh, Clint Eastwood put off making the uh, this movie because he wanted to be older. He's actually he actually had the rights to it for like seven years. Uh, granted, he had other irons in the fire in the second half of the eighties, uh, but plenty of other movies to work on. But he has said that part of the reason he kept pushing Unforgiven back was that he wanted to wait until he's old enough to play the lead himself. Wow, you don't hear about that a lot. No, he had the rights to it, so nobody could make it unless he did. <laughs> Not a bad move because he really his his age comes across in this movie really well. His frailty. Yeah, this had, was written back in 1976, and someone else had the rights to it for probably like eight or nine years before Clint Eastwood picked it up. Once their their rights to it ran out, so it, it sat on the shelf for 16 years before it actually got made. Wow. Um, all right. One of the funniest facts about Unforgiven is that Clint Eastwood offered a role in the movie to his own mother, Ruth Wood, only to cut the scene in which she boards a train out of it. Clint just referred to it as, quote, the movie is too long, so some parts had to go. Uh, he didn't seem to take into account that his then 83-year-old mother had spent a very tiring day wearing a heavy dress to shoot a short scene. He made up for cutting her out of the movie by bringing her to the Academy Awards the following year and explicitly thanking her in his acceptance speech, a moment she never forgot for sure. He cut his mom out of his movie? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I went through, oh, here, let me get, I had a hard time putting a dress on. It took me about an hour. But, oh, boy, this is really heavy. Can I sit down? Cuts his mom out of a movie. That's the worst thing William Money ever did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the movie was shot 60 miles outside of Calgary, and they weren't expecting snow, but after it snowed, they just went with it and kept filming some of the scenes. Uh, the rain that in the movie, it was all artificial because it was like one of the driest times of the year when they were filming. And they oh, they really? got the whole okay. filming done in under a month. Nice. Now, Clint Eastwood has a reputation for getting things done quickly. He doesn't like to waste a lot of time. No, I remember uh, was it American Sniper, where the baby wouldn't uh, couldn't yeah. do a certain thing. He's like, here, just use a damn doll. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch it the first time I watched that movie in that scene because I was more focused on you know everything going on in the scene. I wasn't focused on the baby. But then once I was told about it. You can't watch that at all <laughs> without seeing it. It's so blatant that it just ruins it. it almost takes you complete. It takes you completely out of the movie for that scene. I just hear his voice. Oh, just use a damn doll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move his arm like you're rocking it. You know. <laughs> oh man, let's see here. What else we got? Uh, one of Clint Eastwood's first major roles was in the Western television series Rawhide. That aired from 59 to 65. It established him in the genre and made him famous as an actor. The boots he wore in Unforgiven were the same boots he wore during Rawhide about three decades earlier. They are in his private collection, and I'm sure they probably mean a lot to him. He wore them in both his first major role and the first movie he won an Oscar for. Okay. 
Outstanding. And that's it for facts. There weren't too many facts on this that were really all that interesting, and I, I dug a little deep to get what I got. I did have a couple of quotes I really liked. Uh, when uh, he walks in there at the end and he asks who's the owner of this establishment at uh, Greeley's mm-hmm. Tavern, and the guy comes around and says, oh, that's that me, Mr. Greeley sold it to me, and he just shoots him. <laughs> and uh, little Bill's like, you coward, you just shot an unarmed, unarmed man. And Clint Eastwood's perfect response was, well, he should have armed himself. <laughs> exactly. He should have armed himself if he's going to put use my friend as decoration. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that quote. Uh, <laughs> the whole free ones conversation just lives on and takes up spa- uh, space rent-free in my head after all these years because it's such a weird conversation to have. It's so awkward and uncomfortable, and it just messes with your whole thoughts of how that whole dynamic between client and uh, – and you know, worker, because she sounds almost like she's hitting on him. <laughs> yeah, and you know, is, is she that desperate to be a prostitute again? I, it just goes against your your expectations for that line of work. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was an interesting, it's an interesting moment in the movie. Yes. Uh I have three final questions for you, Terry. Okay. And as having seen this only once, I think it's more interesting for you to think about this because I've thought about it more than the, more than that time. The, the last part of the movie, we get the script running across, which tells about once again her parents not understanding why they married somebody, why she married someone like him. But they say that he moved to San Francisco and prospered in dry goods. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. That's how the story ends? Yeah, he had to get out of town, but really? (laughs) We're just going to throw that in there? He could have just gone off to Nevada or something and uh, had a small little ranch there and died or something, and his kids took over? Well, we know he has the money, his share from the killing, because a Schofield kid, he makes it out. Uh, He takes, and so he'll have his share... You know what? Three hundred and thirty-three dollars worth of that thousand, and uh, in that day, day and time, he could have started a business with that. But this was such a weird way to end that. Why would they choose dry goods? Why is that the choice that was made? I have no idea, but I'm sure it was in the script. Oh, I'm sure it is. I want to know who. Why was that written like that? I, I've racked my brain thinking, why would you choose dry goods? Yeah, doesn't make it much sense. I was just like, it's too high profile. Yeah, I was just, well, yeah, that too. Because of that leads into my second, final question: How was William Money not public enemy number one after this incident? That's a good point because you got that he guy who was getting written by right about him. So, right, Beauchamp lives. He's going to tell the story. He's going to exaggerate it anyway. But even if he doesn't exaggerate, he just gunned down the sheriff. A whole bunch of deputies, a uh, uh, business owner, and several other people in that scene, and then just rides off in the rain. And I'm just wondering, how is he not public enemy number one? Yeah, I don't know. How can he go anywhere? That's a good question, and one that all the critics must have overlooked, because they're like, oh, that movie's so good, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious to that because like and it ties in with that went and made his 
you know, it was prosperous in dry goods. Well, that's you have to interact with people in dry goods, and eventually somebody's going to find out who you were. Now, it may take a little longer in the Old West, but little Bill had no problem figuring out who he was. No. Oh, so and, that's uh, you. Yeah, I know all about you. Right. Uh, my final, final question, my last final question. If you remember from the, the, the text at the beginning and the text at the end is that William and his wife, her family could not understand why she had married someone with such a, it was an ill-tempered man. And uh, it mentions it twice, both the beginning and the end. But why did they never come try to see those kids? Who knows? They don't come till after she's she's been dead three years. When uh, ten years when what, the what, ten, no she got him clean ten years ago. Yeah, ten years ago she got him clean. He was with her for yeah for seven years and three years she's been dead. He's been raising those kids for three years, and her family has never come out to see grandkids. They don't come out till after she's dead, after he's left. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, what's up with that? I have no idea. That's it's the old west too. I mean, it take a depending on where the her family's from, it would take a long time to get there. And if she left them, left their her family to be with this man, she maybe they disowned her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a yeah. I just I thought that was odd that they they would come and see, and all they would see would be her grave. And nobody else there. Yeah, because he's moved on. To, what are they going to think? Moved on to San Francisco, and you ain't going to find him right. back then. No. What would they think that he killed her? And turned about she died of nat, you know, of disease. She was it a scarlet fever? Yeah, I don't remember what it was. Or was it cholera? I don't remember. Anyway, she died of a disease. It wasn't anything he had done. Uh, so, but yeah, that was my my final questions. Yeah, sorry I wasn't able to elaborate more on those. <laughs> Did you have anything else to add about this movie, Terry? No, just got our Rushmore that we put together. Yes. Our Rushmore, we decided to do Clint Eastwood movies. Yeah, hey, to be fair, upon deciding which movies made my Rushmore, I realized that I uh, I really hadn't seen as many Clint Eastwood movies as I thought. So I went with ones I've enjoyed, and and in total I counted, it was about a dozen movies that I've actually seen. With him in a okay. period. And I know he's done like 70 movies or something like that. Right. Well, I've got my four. i got a pretty strong four here. Probably be stronger uh, than mine. <laughs> well, let's get this out in the open. I know you didn't. And also, for me, Unforgiven is not on my Rushmore of Clint Eastwood movies. Okay. Which I thought it would be until I started checking off a few more in my head. Yeah, and then you... Like, oh, wait a minute. What about that one? Then, oh, yeah, that one. And then you heard me complaining about him and pointing out everything that... <laughs> His acting <laughs> in this movie wasn't that great. No. Uh, it is a great movie, but as far as if I'm picking my favorite Clint Eastwood performances, or Clint Eastwood movies, I'm sorry, uh, it's just not there. I love this movie, but there's other ones that I love more. And I, for, you know what's crazy is I forgot about a couple of these movies until I started putting this list together. Yeah, I was saying. Like, why, why are we doing Unforgiven? Why aren't we doing any of these others that are on my... On my Rushmore. I'll tell you right now, if we have any the same, it'll be only one. 
let me make a wild guess then. I'm going to go with my first one, the Rush one. That's Dirty Harry. Nope. No? Never seen Dirty Harry. None of them. Never seen the... You've never seen any of them? Never. They're very dated. The first one, I'll I'll say this. It's very dated. It's very 70s-ish in the way movies were made. Okay. Um, even like it's like you can tell it's seventies by the the sound effects from running. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about the the shuffling of the shoes on the on the concrete the way it sounds. I can imagine that it, was a yeah. very distinctive seventies sound. But yeah, Dirty Harry's on my Rushmore. The very first time we hear him say, "Go ahead, make my day." Yeah, and I know where that's from. I mean, I I right. remember Harry Callahan's his name and all this. I so. It's not like I'm unfamiliar with the character, and I know there's like three or four movies that came from it. So it's always been something I've wanted to watch at some point. I just never really jumped on the opportunity when I had it. I, uh, it is interesting to view a movie, a movie with a vigilante cop who shoots first and asks questions later. <laughs> that kind of story is looks a whole lot different these days. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. So it's not quite the same effect. Um, well, let's go with what's one on yours then, Terry. We'll go. I had Dirty Harry. What did you have? The one you? I thought we might share, which I'm guessing now we didn't, is Gran Torino. It's an alternate. I have it as an alternate. That movie's good, strong movie. Yeah, I like that movie yeah. a lot. Yeah, he played the crotchety old man to a T in that movie. Yeah. He was maybe a little bit too well, a little bit too much Archie Bunker, maybe. Yeah, for some people's taste. Yeah, I think that was the point, though. Yeah, uh, I do. That was, that was a great movie. I love the way he uh, that went against Type Two for him because Clint Eastwood always wins, mm-hmm. and he won, but at a very high cost. Yeah, which I really I thought that was a great that movie was very very well written. Yeah, it was a good one for sure. All right, well, next up for me. I have High Plains Drifter. Yeah. I don't even know if I've ever even heard of it. <laughs> oh, Terry, this this is one that actually I think you should watch. It's one of those old spaghetti western movies All right. from that time frame. But it's great. This town uh, hires him to take care of something for them. And they extend him all this credit. And so he just comes in and just basically runs this town. Okay. And it's it's... It's a fun movie to watch. It's not like a comedy or anything, but it's just watch. You'll like it. I think you'll like this movie. High Plains Drifter. All right. If I ever see it, I may may take check it out. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere or if you do like westerns at all. I like Tombstone. I like No Country for Old Men, but I guess that wasn't really a western, but it kind of a newer one. It's a similar vibe, though, in a way, because this movie is a morality tale set in a western the same way that no country for old men was a you know a, a movie about aging and you know so all those things so yeah so never, but if you get a chance to watch high plains drifter if you got a lazy afternoon sometime i don't think you'll regret watching it okay all right next up for you uh this one came out not too long before unforgiven so it's my second oldest on my list here, and that's The Rookie. Okay, with Charlie Sheen. That was just a fun movie. It was funny. It was an action comedy. I thought it was awesome. I enjoyed it. I remember Raul Julia being in it, too. And yeah. it was just a cool movie. Just just a cool uh, older detective bringing in the new young cop and, and breaking him in. I, I thought it was a cool movie. 
It was one that I considered. I don't think I would necessarily rank it as high as an alternate, but it was one that I considered. But yeah, you're right. I did enjoy watching it. Yeah. So I haven't seen that movie in a long time, and kind of when I was scrolling through, I'm like, God dang, I need to watch that again. <laughs> uh, next up on my list is probably it's on my list. I would say it's probably my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. Okay. And that's Heartbreak Ridge. Okay. He plays a Marine sergeant and uh, takes these recruits this, and, and whips these, uh, not recruits, these, this ragtag unit. He whips them into shape and then takes them into actual combat and they achieve the mission. I love that movie. Yeah, I watched that for the first time probably 10 years or so ago. And uh, yeah, it was a good movie. I, I kind of forgot about it, but yeah, it was it was good the time I watched it. All right. All right, Terry, next up for you. Uh, this one is where he's, he's an, I think, a former FBI agent, and he undergoes, like, a heart transplant, and he's trying to hunt down this killer, and it's blood work. Did you ever, work. You ever see that? This one kind of went under the radar in the early 2000s, but it was a really good kind of, like, you're trying to piece together everything right along with him, and they did a good job at delivering that. There's some times where... You can see ahead. This movie, you don't really see ahead at all. You're you're kind of figuring it out, and it makes sense with him. And I, I really like this movie. It has uh, Jeff Daniels in it as well. I don't even think I've heard of that one. I got it That's on crazy. DVD back there. It's one of my own only Clint Eastwood movies. I'll have to check it out. That's weird. The one that you like that much is one that I've never even heard of. <laughs> it's like I said, it's newer, and it was early two thousands. So you were a little busier then. Perhaps, yeah. All right, so last up for my Mount Rushmore, then, is another old-school Clint Eastwood movie, and that is Escape from Alcatraz. That's one that's on my list of need to watch someday. I still have never seen it. I liked it. Yeah, and I like I've it. heard... It's old-school movie-making at its final. Okay, yeah, I've, I've heard it. It's decent enough worth a watch, but I won't be blown away by it, and I've heard that from a few people. It's... Like you said, it, it's a lot of these movies, especially ones that I've chosen. At least you know uh, three of them here are when back when movies would, weren't afraid to take their time with the story. Uh, we've been spoiled with high-paced action movies and fast-paced even dramas and even faster-paced comedies, and, and this society in general is sped up and everything moves faster. And our entertainment has you know reflected that yeah whereas before you could spend you know a lot of time telling a story and for sure escape from alcatraz is not gonna doesn't go at breakneck speed but if you wanted to get artistic with it it would be out of character for a movie set in a prison like alcatraz to move at a fast pace that's true because you know from an artistic sense a storytelling sense it would make perfect sense for it to move slow the may time move slow yeah. in a prison. Yeah, be methodical. Right. All right, let's remind our listeners, Terry, your Mount Rushmore of Clint Eastwood movies was... Grand Torino, The Rookie, Bloodwork, and my final movie is Play Misty for Me. Ah, that's a great one. That's an alternate for me. Yeah, and for those who haven't seen it, it's like Fatal Attraction... 15 years before Fatal Attraction. 
Right. Because he's a uh, he plays a DJ, which imagine Clint Eastwood as a DJ, <laughs> and he has this woman calling in to the radio station with her voice saying, "Hi, play Misty for me," and she calls in all the time asking him to hear this song, and then he's out at a bar or something like that, and. Uh, he ends up going home with her, going to her apartment, and she divulges to him that she's the one that's been calling into the radio station all those years or whatever, have that song played. And he's got a girlfriend at the time, and he hooks up with her anyways, and then she becomes overly obsessed, and it just keeps getting darker and darker and darker as the movie goes on, almost exactly like Fatal Attraction. Any rabbits make it into a mm-hmm. stovetop? No, nah, not in this movie. I think it would have been a little too okay. much for 1972. <laughs> it was too much for a Fatal Attraction when it came out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I, I forgot through your last one, Terry. I thought you'd gone first for some reason. I apologize. Okay. So that was your four, including the last one, which is a good one, was one alternate for me. My list finaled out at Dirty Harry, High Plains Drifter, Heartbreak Ridge, and Escape from Alcatraz. And for Clint Eastwood fans out there, I'm sure Rob's list is far superior to mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about all that. Uh, there are no movies I like. Right. And like I said, I was surprised. I surprised myself in putting together my Rushmore that Unforgiven did not end up on there. And uh, I really thought it would. And it just doesn't stack up against those other four. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I think Cl- I like Clint Eastwood. I think he's cool. And I've watched several movies here. But, yeah, I just found that I really hadn't seen a lot of them. Just, I've just seen several of them. That's it. I really wish we'd done Heartbreak Ridge instead. I wish I would have picked that when yeah, I picked this. I think we have that on DVD behind me somewhere. Maybe down the line. We'll get to it. Uh, all right. Well, that is all for Unforgiven. Now, reminder to our listeners, next week is the week. Our 75th episode, Terry and I have undertaken... The soul-crushing, heartbreaking, nerve-wracking, sleep-loss-inducing task of narrowing down to our top 25 movies. Yeah, it's going to be... I'm still working on it. It's going to be a while to get it narrowed all the way down. The rule that got discussed this week was whether or not... You can combine movies that would be uh, useless without the other that are, in, are uh, dependent upon their predecessor or successor in a sense. And I will defend my argument next <laughs> week when that movie comes up uh, in our top 25. So, And I'm sure Rob will defend his side of this argument, but I, I think they should be – certain movies should be allowed to be combined. Other ones – I did make one concession. Yeah, I know. I did make one concession. I know. So uh, that one was fine. But we'll we'll discuss that more in detail next week. Hopefully, we can come up with a couple of guest lists. I'm going to start asking people. And uh, Honestly, anybody Terry, listening right now, just if you, you have a top 25, you, you feel like undertaking this uh, task like we are, and you want to send it to us, go for it. Yeah, chances are, if you're listening, you know how to get a hold of us. Yep. <laughs> and uh, if not, you could <laughs> you could post it on our Facebook page if you can find it. <laughs> Retro review with Rob and Terry. Uh, it's out there. Yeah, so they might. Have, There's nothing but tumbleweeds blowing across. I was it. gonna say they might have deleted it by now for inactivity. 
<laughs> I think it's still there because every once in a while I'll get a, you could boost your sites, your your pages, uh, reach. I'm like, <laughs> we're not. No, I can't. Yeah, we're, not, <laughs> we're not boosting that. <laughs> I still haven't gotten around to doing like a, uh, we should, we should, we should get around to doing the, uh, you know, like an Instagram or something, something that's a little bit more uh, accessible and easy. We could just post pictures, you know, uh, from the movie or whatever. At least gives an avenue for some people to get in touch with us, or at the very least, just sign up for a free email so people can email us questions. Oh, or gosh. <laughs> we just haven't done it. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> we're lazy. Yeah, <laughs> this is not our full time job. <laughs> not even a little bit. No, nope, we both have full time jobs, families, and uh, other other things. But we do this just because we love it. Yep. So we hope that you love listening as much as we love doing. For Retro Review with Rob and Terry, I am Rob. This is Terry. God bless you and good night.